Please be seated, and very good evening to you. It'd be great if you could keep that uh, passage open, Mark 14, on page 1014 of the Church Bibles, and in the middle of your bulletin is the outline of the talk that you can follow along as well. Page 1014. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you that your word gives us true knowledge of you and true knowledge of ourselves. And so we pray that as we consider this word, your spirit would be at work in our hearts, that we know you better, that we know ourselves, and that we respond in repentance and faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I will never fall away. Now that's what the disciples said to Jesus on the night before he died. How unthinkable that, that they, his, his closest companions, who'd been with Jesus for, for three years, who'd listened to his teaching and observed his miracles and seen his character, how unthinkable that, that they, the apostles, would not be loyal to Jesus to the end. Then again, maybe we feel the same ourselves. How, how unthinkable that, that one of us, a, a member of St. Mary's who sits under the Word of God week in, week out, how unthinkable we might do the same. And yet we will see this evening, they will all fail. Every one of them. As Jesus is betrayed by his friends and arrested by his own people and deserted by his disciples. Well, chapter 14 uh, began under the shadow of the cross as, uh, as Jesus was anointed with this expensive perfume. Uh, Jesus declared it was a preparation for his burial. Shortly after, in the Lord's Supper, Jesus uh, instructed his disciples to remember his coming death. Uh, he was to die as that Passover lamb, taking the sins of his people. And then last week he said, you will all fall away. Uh, in Gethsemane, in, in anguish and, and distress as he looked forward to what was coming, he, he prayed and cried to his father, Re remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. Well, now Jesus lifts his eyes from that prayer and he discovers his answer as he sees Judas in the distance coming to betray him. Have a look at with me at verse 41. And Jesus says there, The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And verse 43, immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now, there's nothing that hurts more than betrayal when someone whom you trust turns on you. Uh, we're reminded here, Judas was one of the twelve one of those, those closest companions 
I mean, we expect the, re the rejection of the religious leaders. Uh, Jesus called them hypocrites to their face. But Judas, three years, he'd seen Jesus' love and mercy and his power and his forgiveness and his glory. Why would Judas do such a thing? Well, Mark's only clue is given to us back in verse 10. Uh, it's immediately after the, the woman has poured this expensive ointment on Jesus, it is then that Judas goes out to betray Jesus for 30 silver coins. And in John's Gospel, it exposes what Mark implies, that his motive was greed. When he realized he, he could not get what he wanted by being with Jesus, money and power, he cuts his losses and turns on his friend. I wonder what would be so valuable to you in this world that you would turn from Jesus. Well, Judas brings with him a, a small army as if Jesus was some kind of violent criminal rather than a, a sleep-deprived teacher. And he's planned this betrayal to have maximum effect. Look at verse 44, his plan. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. And so Judas decides to betray Jesus with the very acts that should show his devotion. He calls Jesus rabbi. He, he kisses him. They're signs of affection, signs of submission. Now in Psalm 2, God's people are commanded to kiss the Son, yielding their lives to him in, in willing submission and praise. But Judas uses those acts. And he is cold, calculated, cruel. He, he looks at the God of love, who's about to demonstrate that love in the ultimate act of self-sacrifice. And he despises him to his face. Now here is human depravity at its very greatest. How deeply this act must have grieved the Lord Jesus to his core. Well, Psalm 55 gives us a, a little hint of his pain. Psalm 55, it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you a man, my equal, my companion, my friend. I wonder if you've ever been betrayed like this, stabbed in the back by someone that you loved. I wonder how you would respond. Well, look at Jesus' response here. No hatred, no retaliation, no revenge. 
Now, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus calls him the unthinkable. Friend, what grace, what love. And Romans 12 commands us to be the same. Repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. As Christians, we're called to imitate Jesus in loving those who would hate us, in reaching out to those who would betray us. But such love, I think, is only possible if we've truly grasped the love of Jesus for us. Romans 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Jesus is betrayed, and then he will be arrested. Have a look at verses 46 to 49. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the Scriptures be fulfilled. Now, we know from John's account of this, that it was actually Peter who cut off the ear of this servant. His name was Malchus. Uh, back in verse 30, run, remember, it was Peter who had declared, uh, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And so he takes out his sword. Uh, clearly, he's, he's aiming for the head, isn't it? So heroic, so courageous, so ignorant of God's will. Now, in John's gospel, Jesus heals the servant and says to Peter, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He has missed the point entirely. Now, Jesus has been teaching for chapter after chapter that he must die. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Now, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus knows his Father's will. Uh, Jesus knows he must drink that cup of the Father's wrath and that must mean he has to be arrested. Now the focus here though is not on on Peter, it, it is on Jesus. So here they are on this this midnight raid. You can imagine if it was today, the police turning up with their you know, machine guns and the snipers is there in the building and the helicopters are roaring overhead. But Jesus wants them to see their wickedness. Every day he's been teaching in the temple and they've done nothing. Why? because everyone else knows that he is innocent. And yet, this Jesus, entirely innocent, this Jesus who commands the very armies of heaven itself, gives himself into their hands willingly, sacrificially, 
so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now, what scriptures does Jesus have in mind here? Uh, Perhaps uh, Exodus 12, Jesus uh, referred to that at the Last Supper. Uh, That would be fulfilled as, as Jesus died, as that perfect Passover lamb who would die in the place of his people. Now, perhaps Psalm 41 is what he has in mind, which he he quotes back in verse 20. Even my close friend, whom I I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Now, that has been fulfilled as as Judas betrayed him. Perhaps he has in mind Zechariah 13, which he quotes in verse 27. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That will be fulfilled in a moment as the disciples flee. Uh, No doubt all of those passages are in view. But I suspect there is one passage in particular that Jesus has in mind. It's the one that Luke quotes in his account, Isaiah 53, verse 12. He was numbered with the transgressors. Here is Jesus, utterly righteous and innocent, but being arrested as if he is a criminal. You see, Jesus intends to show that he is the suffering servant. He is the one who will bear the punishment for his people as he takes their sins upon himself and, and, and dies in their place so that they can be right with God. Isaiah 53, verse 5 reads, as this, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned each one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Here is a glorious truth. As the Son of God, in in willing submission to his Father and out of love for us, willingly gives his life for each one of us. Uh, Could not the one who uh, calmed the storm, who healed the sick, who, who raised the dead, could not he have evaded arrest? In the parallel account, Matthew 26, uh, Jesus says to his disciples here, do you not think that I could appeal to my Father and he would at once send more than 12 legions of angels? That's 72,000 angels. But Jesus willingly lays down his life for the very ones who would put him on the cross. Such darkness but such glory. And so Jesus is betrayed, he is arrested, and then he is deserted. To add insult to injury, we read in verse 50, and they all left him and fled. And so Jesus' words from verse 27 are fulfilled, as they all fall away, They all had emphatically said that they would not, but everyone does. 
And I think we cannot help but to link their, their failure to their prayerlessness just a few moments earlier. Uh, there as Jesus was, was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he told his disciples in verse 38, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And three times Jesus returned to find them sleeping. See, in the face of temptation, in the face of suffering and persecution, at the moment of greatest need, we desperately need God's help. We need to pray. And so often, our failures in the Christian life can be linked to a lack of prayerfulness. And Jesus prayed, and God strengthened him to be faithful. Well, in Mark uh, verses, 51 to, verses 51 to 52, Mark gives us a, a rather striking picture of just how shameful their desertion really is. Look at verse 51. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, most uh, commentators speculate that perhaps the young man is Mark himself. Uh, we know from Acts 12, verse 12, that Mark's uh, mother owned a house in Jerusalem not far away, but we can't really prove it. Mark's point, though, is absolutely clear. This young man, who, whoever he is, he, he begins well. He's following Jesus. But he ends so poorly. He would rather run away naked in the middle of the night than to be seized with Jesus. Mark wants us to recall his words from chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so Mark is showing us here how shameful it really is to desert him, to choose self-preservation over self-sacrifice. Here is Jesus laying down his life in the ultimate act of self-sacrifice, and despite all their promises at the moment of truth, they all run away, looking after number one. How shameful indeed. And yet as we look at their, their shameful failure, we're actually meant to see ourselves. Our own failures to follow Jesus, as we've said that we will. Our own failures to love him like he has loved us. Our own failures to pray. I know my failure all too well. I'm sure you're aware of yours. And that ought to drive us back onto our knees, asking for forgiveness, pleading for his help, that he would help us to be faithful. Betrayed, arrested, deserted, 
Let's consider for a moment the application of these verses. The main point, I think, is, is, is very clear. And that is that Jesus went to the cross alone. Betrayed by his friend, arrested by his own people, deserted by his disciples, and, and one chapter later, as Jesus hangs on the cross, he will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as he is forsaken by his own father? Jesus is to go to the cross absolutely alone. We're to see his salvation is not a, a team effort. There's nothing that the disciples contribute. There's no honourable act that they can look back on with pride. They all failed. They all feared. They all fled. And of course, we are no different. Each and every one of us fail to follow him faithfully. There is nothing that we bring to the table when it comes to our salvation. This passage reminds us that salvation is all Jesus' work. He's done it all. He obeyed the Father's will. He took our sins on himself. He drank that cup of the Father's wrath in our place. He alone saved us by grace. Our world can be a, a very lonely place at times. Perhaps there are some here even this evening who feel that weight of, of loneliness upon you. The loss of a spouse. The lack of a spouse that we wish we had. The abandonment of friends. Or Jesus understands our loneliness like no one else ever could. And here is something remarkable. That Jesus embraced that loneliness for you and for me. See, if we could just admit our, our failure, our faithlessness, then this passage is truly liberating for us. Because it shows us that the whole purpose of Jesus' mission for us is to go to the cross to save sinners. Uh, that's why we've alluded to Isaiah 53, the, the whole purpose of his willingness to be betrayed and arrested and deserted was that he might be that servant who would, who would die in our place and rescue us. I, I never tire of hearing that, that, that wonderful gospel message. And what joy, what liberation, what hope to know that, that Jesus doesn't require me to perform to get to heaven. He doesn't need me to be a bit more religious, a bit more committed to reach that standard. Jesus goes to the cross for failures with shameful past, you have nothing to offer. And he offers forgiveness. And he offers peace with God. 
He trades places and he takes our shame and our sin and he gives us his righteousness. So that on that judgment day, we need not stand before him naked and exposed, but clothed with his purity. What an amazing gospel indeed. Well, finally, this passage urges us to follow Jesus, the way of the cross. See, there is a warning here also for us to heed. Uh, if it is possible for the apostles to desert him, for Judas to betray him, then is it not possible for a, for a priest or a deacon or a council member or a lay reader or a server or a, a welcomer or, or anyone else in this room to fall away from following Jesus. We read in Hebrews 4, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. No one wakes up one morning and decides to give up on Jesus. But I wonder if there are some here this evening who've taken those first few steps, sins that we've covered up, dissatisfactions with Jesus that we leave to fester, sacrifices for Jesus that we're not willing to make. It's a very dangerous path indeed. And we need to pray. We need to confess our sins. We need to ask for his help to help us to be faithful. And we can do so with great assurance that faithless Peter later became forgiven Peter. And now as forgiven sinners, we are called to follow him, no longer to shamefully desert him, but willingly deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, uh, to faithfully serve him, whatever the cost, to love our enemies like, like he does, even to forgive our friends who who fail us or betray us. And we can do all of these things because we know that the cross was not the end for Jesus. And Jesus was, was, was raised up in glory. And that will be the same for us as well as we, as we embrace the, the shame and the suffering of the cross. So too we can look forward to the glory of his kingdom to come. Here is a warning. Do not fall from Jesus. But here is a wonderful promise. Jesus came to die for faithless failures. So let us turn to him and ask him afresh to enable us to trust him 
as we look forward to the glory that is to come. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess before you our failures. We do not follow you as we have promised. We do not love you as you have loved us. Father, we know that if salvation depended upon each one of us, there would be no hope. And yet we thank you for your Son who embraced shame and loneliness and desertion and betrayal for us that we might have forgiveness and life. And so, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help each one of us to faithfully follow him, embracing whatever shame or suffering there is to come, as we look forward to that glory you have uh, reserved for us in his eternal kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.